It's, it's great to be here. I, I first of all, uh, just want to thank uh, you for a great week. It's been a great week. Uh, the, the pastoral staff, uh, missions committee, uh, many of you in this congregation have uh, welcomed us, not only me, but uh, Mark. He was now in, in Cleveland. But it's, it's been a good week. And thank you for adding to my waistline uh, and for the opportunity to share what, what God is doing in, in Senegal. <clears throat> also, I want you to know that uh, I want to thank you as, as a congregation for making it possible for me to be on this great adventure with God over in Senegal. Uh, because of your giving, because of your praying and your support and encouragement, uh, God is doing some wonderful things in Senegal. When we first arrived there, it was a missionary graveyard. But uh, as we sang this morning, Senegal is singing a new song. Uh, we're seeing God do some great things in Senegal, and he's using our kids. Our ministry has been working with missionary kids. We were 20 years in the Ivory Coast and then now 10 years in Senegal. And he's using these teenagers uh, to build his kingdom. And uh, we have seen the kids uh, build churches. In fact, in the last four years, my last term, our kids have built eight churches and they've seen a thousand people come to know Jesus. Amen. So, yes, you clap. So this is kind of a report to the investors. You know, I've been praying. I've been giving what's been happening. Some, some great things have been happening. So thank you. Uh, you make this uh, possible. I wanted to uh, show my family because this morning I'm, I'm going to be kind of sharing about our family's develop, development of a theology of risk. And this is kind of a testimony of not only my testimony, but my family's testimony. Um, these are my four daughters and uh, my wife is in front. That is not my daughter. That is my wife. And a lot of what I'm going to be sharing is, is her journey uh, through this difficult time of, of developing uh, a theology of, of risk. Uh, two of my daughters are in Korea with their spouses, serving the Lord in Korea. Uh, one of them with her spouse is uh, with us in Africa. And then my baby gets married in May, um, gets married in June, graduates in May, gets married in June. She also plans to head to the mission field. So God has been good. But uh, this, what you hear this morning is going to be our family's journey. And so that's our that's our family. That's the Evans family. Um, there's also one. Oh, how did that get there? Yes, that's that's my granddaughter. I had to slip her in there somewhere, you know, <laughs> and uh, she's over uh, in Korea. <clears throat> in First Chronicles twenty one, twenty four, David says this. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. When we first went to the mission field, being a missionary really didn't cost us an awful lot. We were living in the country of Ivory Coast, a country that was lush and green. Our campus was beautiful. We had a, a big gymnasium. We had even had a racquetball court, tennis court, soccer fields. It was like living in a country club. It was a great place to raise kids, a very safe country. But that began to change. The president of the country died and there was a vying for power. And we saw the infrastructure of that great country start to deteriorate. There were more robberies that took place, more carjackings. And the missions community began to be the target of those crimes. The vehicle of choice was a Toyota Land Cruiser. Guess what we owned? 
We had some friends of ours that came down to go to the beach. They're on their way back. They stopped at a fruit stand when suddenly they found themselves surrounded by bandits. The bandits jumped in their vehicle and the father said, at least let me get my kids out. So they pushed the kids out the back seat. They jumped in the vehicle and off they went. A little while later, we had some friends of ours with the Southern Baptist Mission that came down. The father went into town to get some chicken from a roadside stand there. And he, too, found himself surrounded by bandits. They jumped in his vehicle. He realized his 18-month-old little boy, baby boy, was in the back seat in, the, in his car seat. And so he, too, pleaded, uh, he pleaded with them and said, please, let me get my, my son. They were in too big of a rush. They began to take off, and he jumped on the front bumper and was still pleading with them. One of the bandits took his pistol, put it out the front window, shot him. He fell off, and off they went with the little boy in the back seat. About 45 minutes up the road, they pulled over, and they took the baby in the car seat, just put it on the side of the road, and they kept on going. Well, some Africans heard the baby crying, and they took the baby, got him all cleaned up, and took him to the police station. Of course, all this time, uh, we there at the school were praying. Uh, the kids were praying. We were just pleading on, uh, on the behalf of this little boy uh, for his life. And uh, fortunately, the police called the American Embassy. And about 11 o'clock that night, uh, this family was reunited. It was a happy ending. I remember the next day I was getting up in the dining hall to make some announcements. And the mother walked by with the little boy and I said, bring him up here. And I held him up and we all just clapped and rejoiced. A happy ending. But not all the, the endings were happy ones. The robberies became more violent. And they weren't just taking vehicles. They, they were going into to restaurants and into homes. And along with these robberies, there were useless beatings. For no reason, people weren't resisting, but after they would rob people, they would just beat them. Sixty-year-old nuns beaten for no reason. Then it really hit home. We had returned here to the United States to do a seminar up at Houghton College. And while we were here that, that summer, we received word that my wife's prayer partner, Amy Nielsen, was in a restaurant with her kids, just having a good time. And some bandits came into the restaurant, and in front of her children, they abducted her, put her in a vehicle, and they began beating her with their pistols. At one point, uh, she had her head bowed and her hands clasped when she was praying. And they began forcing her hands apart and saying, don't pray to that God of yours. He, he's not going to do anything for you. We're going to kill you tonight. They ended up at the um, Christian Missionary Alliance uh, office there, the, the, um, the country's main office for the Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, they broke into the safe there and got about $14,000. They continued to beat her. They continued to threaten her. But uh, obviously they were happy with the amount of money they received. And so they ended up taking her down a back alley in town and dropping her off. And she was able to get back to safety. When my wife, Jewel, heard this, she began experiencing something that she never experienced before in the country of Ivory Coast. She said she began to experience fear. And she wasn't real sure about returning after, at the end of that summer. But we returned, and once we returned back to the Ivory Coast, we got busy in ministry, but then there were more reports. New reports, more beatings, more robberies. There were even people that were killed. And this fear increased to the point where she said it was a paralyzing fear. And she began to cry out to God to release us from ministry in the Ivory Coast. As a mother of four daughters, her main fear was that something might happen to her children. And so we decided that we needed to sit down as a family and develop what we call the a theology of risk. 
And we discuss what we believe about God as it relates to risk and suffering in our lives. Do we only follow God if it means no risk, no cost, no suffering? We talked about what could happen if we stayed in this country. Worst case scenario, we could lose our lives. Our kids were all born overseas and they didn't have a choice about where to live. And Jewel and I felt that uh, it was important that we sit down as an entire family because if anything should ever happen in the future, we didn't want our daughters to point their fingers at us and say, why did you keep us here when you knew the dangers involved? And so we sat down and began to talk about this whole area of risk and suffering. We also encouraged the girls to to pray and and to, to look up scripture verses that dealt with this subject. We decided we'd have a date where we get together as a family and make a decision. And sure enough, the date rolled around. We got together and we just went around and each of the girls shared what God was uh, telling them and also their concerns. It came to Amber. Amber's always been our little homebody. And she said, you know, Mom and Dad, I could give my life. It doesn't bother me to give my life. But I don't know what I would do if I lost one or both of you. I don't think I could be an orphan. We said, well, that's fair, Amber. Does that mean that your vote is that we leave? She said, I'm not saying that. I'm just giving you my concerns. One by one, the girls shared. At the end of the time, we took a family vote. And it was unanimous. We voted to stay. We realized that that was just a small part that we were able to play in in the Great Commission. That was our part, to minister there at the school. What would the face of missions look like if every time there was a little bit of of risk or or suffering involved, missionaries put their tails between their legs and and, and fled? It was a special family time, and and, uh, I thought that after that, all of Jules' fears would, 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 would disappear. But there are more reports, more robberies, more carjackings, more abductions, and that fear returned. And it got to be this paralyzing fear that was so intense that she could hardly... Think of nothing else but, but this, 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 this danger, what was going to happen. One morning, she got up. She couldn't sleep. She was restless, again, thinking about what could happen. And uh, she got up to have her quiet time. And she went out, and there by herself in the, in the darkness, early in the morning, she cried out and asked God to release us from ministry. She said, Lord, let us go back to America where it's safe. Release us from this ministry. During this time when, when that fear was the most intense, she was reading through the book of uh, Jeremiah. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah, but you don't wake up and say, you know, I need some encouragement today. I'm going to read the book of Jeremiah. OK, uh, gloom, doom, despair. It's not necessarily a real encouraging book, but she didn't want to break away from her Bible reading. So she continued on reading Jeremiah. And so she said, Lord, please release us from this country. And no offense, no offense, but Jeremiah just isn't doing it for me. However, she wanted to continue on with her Bible reading. And so uh, at that, that morning, she was in Jeremiah 42. I'm just going to read a section from her journal taken from Je- Jeremiah 42. And I'm going to substitute Jewel for Israel and America for Egypt. And here's what God said through Jeremiah 42 to Jewel that morning. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, if you will not, if you will indeed stay in this land, then I will build you up and not tear you down and I will plant you and not uproot you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I will also show you compassion. But if you're going to say we will not stay in this land, 
so as not to listen to the voice of the Lord your God saying no, but we will go to America where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or hunger for bread and we will stay there. Then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, Jewel. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. If you really set your mind to go to America and go to reside there, then it will come about that the sword which you are afraid of will overtake you there in the land of America and the famine about which you are anxious will follow closely after you there. Well, she didn't want to hear that. It wasn't until that afternoon that she realized what God was telling her. That afternoon at one o'clock Ivory Coast time. Eight o'clock in the morning, East Coast time here in the United States. Two planes crashed into the Twin Towers, an event that we now call 9-11. We had CNN at the school. And so after that first plane hit, I called Jewel and said, you got to see something happened here. And she came up just in time to see that second plane hit. And as we watched those horrible events unfold, Jewel realized that that passage that she read that very morning was God's direct word to her. And the Holy Spirit came to her and said, See, Jewel, where are you going to go in this world to be safe? Where are you going to go to be safe? The safest place to be is in the center of my will. I would like to say that this was the end of the fear, but it wasn't quite over. More robberies. More carjackings. The fear returned. Uh, We're now on Christmas break. The kids had left and had gone home. And so we just had kind of a skeleton crew of staff members there. Uh, Received a call from town from a missionary uh, one night. Said, Evan, uh, there's been another carjacking. A Catholic priest uh, was taken in his vehicle. They took him uh, into the jungle. They beat him up, stripped him naked, took his vehicle. But he was able to get back to safety. He said, so I just tell the rest of the staff there that they need to stay put and not make any town trips tomorrow. So I called around. And of course, one of the people I had to tell was was Jewel, my wife. And you could just see the fear come back into her face as I told her. She couldn't sleep that, that well that night. And so she got up early in the morning once again to have her devotions. And she thought to herself, you know. We're on vacation now and all the kids have left. You know, when the kids are here, everyone's praying. All these kids, you know, from all over West Africa, everyone's praying. But the kids are gone. You know, there goes our there goes our prayer support. And so she sat down and she said, Lord, do you hear the cry of one lone mother? Does my does my prayer amount to anything? Do you hear my cry? In her Bible reading now, she was now in the book of Haggai. And here's what God's response was to that mother's cry taken from Haggai 2. I am with you, declares the Lord. And three times God says, take courage, take courage, take courage, declares the Lord, for I am with you. As for the promise I made you, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. And then God said this in Haggai 2. And in this place, I shall give peace, declares the Lord. The Lord's word is living and active, isn't it? Speaks to us today. She said she felt so loved by her heavenly father. And the peace of God flowed from the top of her head to the tip of her toes. And that fear has left and has never returned. But about six months later, (laughs) we were put through a test. It makes sense, doesn't it? God doesn't just give us his promises and say, okay, that's nice. Let's move on. He wants us to know that his promises are tried and true. They're sound. Jill and I once again had returned to the United States. 
to do a, a seminar. We were working with uh, people that were going out to international schools, about 125 people. Some friends of ours said, don't worry about your two youngest girls. Just go ahead and leave them here. Uh, we'll watch over them. And so uh, we returned here to the United States, left our girls uh, back in the Ivory Coast. Uh, one of the first meetings we had with this group of 125 was a devotional meeting. And, and Jewel was able to stand up before these people and say uh, about, the, about her development of, development of a theology of risk. And at the end of her, her devotional, she said, you know what? This theology of risk has been tried and, and true. And I want you to know that it, it fits like a glove. This theology of risk fits like a glove. Two days later, her worst nightmare happened. Seven bandits uh, broke onto our campus. They went to the first house where the lights were on. And those are next door neighbors. And they began uh, beating them. Uh, our girls were next door making chicken. They didn't even know what was happening about 40, 50 feet away. At one point, the bandits got distracted because the car was coming up a side road. And, and when they got distracted, the wife broke loose, went running over to our place. The girls could tell that she had been beaten. They could see terror in her eyes. And she said, quickly, lock the door, turn off all the lights, go back to the back bedroom, get under the bed. And so they followed her instructions. Just after they did that, they heard footsteps go walking by. But the bandits didn't stop in because they didn't think anybody was home. The bandits ended up going down to the lower end of campus. Again, fortunately, uh, the, the school kids were not there. They were all back home. They went down to the lower end of campus uh, to the high school boys' dorm. Uh, and that dorm at that time was being used to house a short-term missions team that had come out for the summer. And they went into that dorm. They began beating the people there from the short-term missions team. And then uh, they, all made, they, made them, they herded them out, made them uh, sit in the lounge area took what they wanted and then left. But one of the bandits was so upset because he thought he was going to be able to get more and he didn't get enough. And so he came back in. At uh, one point, our guard had come in. And he was also kneeling on the rug and he was the closest to the door. And so the bandit came in, put his gun on right to the guard's back and executed him right there on the living room floor. Killed him. Our business manager heard the commotion. He came up the side road to see what was going on. They fired at him. He pulled over. They jumped in his vehicle, began hitting him with their, with their gun butts. He began sharing the gospel with them, and they would laugh. And they said, we're glad that you love this Jesus of yours, because you're going to see him tonight. We're going to kill you. Take us down this back road. So we went down this back road and into the woods area, and they said, okay, pull over here. This is where we're going, where we're going to shoot you. So they're loading up their guns to shoot him, and he's thinking to himself, why am I just going to stand here and take a bullet? So he took off running, sprinting and zigzagging. Of course, they, they fired at him. Fortunately, they missed and he was able to get back to safety. When we heard this news, we, of course, wanted to call our girls. And one of the first people we wanted to talk to was Amber. Amber got on the phone. We said, Amber, did we make a mistake months ago when we decided to stay? And Amber didn't even hesitate. She said, no. She said, people now are talking about leaving. They said, this is the last straw. We need to get out of here. She said, but Devin and I were talking. And mommy and daddy, even if that had been you that had been beaten, we had already worked through this. We had already counted the cost. We didn't make the wrong decision. This is where we need to be. Wow. I'm sure the people at that conference, uh, when they heard about this news, they were probably wondering, okay, how's your theology of risk now? How's your theology of risk? It's been tested. And we were able to stand up in front of those people and say, hey, it's even been tested more so. 
And you know what? It still fits like a glove. Two months later, after the robbery, we found ourselves caught in the middle of a crossfire. Government troops were on one side of our school. Rebel troops were on the other side of our school. They're using our school as a shield, and they were firing over at each other. Bullets going over our heads. For a week, we were in lockdown. Bullets zinging around. Finally, French commandos had to come in and evacuate us and about 160 kids uh, out from that area. So often we have this false theology that God doesn't allow bad things to happen to his people. You know, Jesus says, in this world you will have peace and tranquility. (laughs) No. What do he say? In this world you will have what? Trouble, tribulation. You'll have trouble. Okay? Scripture guarantees we are going to have difficulties. We're going to have trouble. But God promises us the ultimate. God promises us his presence. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A great story. However, as I, as I read that story, I realized, you know what? When, when, was God's, when was God's presence seen? When was God's presence seen? In the fire. It was in the fire where God's presence was seen. What was the only thing that burned in the fire? There's only one thing that burned. Ropes. Those things that held them captive, they're the only things that, that, that burned. And sometimes God allows us to be put in a difficult situation, to be put, so to speak, in the fire, in the furnace. And sometimes he allows us to be put in the furnace, so first of all, he can burn away those things that are keeping us from experiencing him like we should. And so he can reveal himself to us. I think many of us, when we think about times where God has really revealed himself to us, it was during some difficult times when we had nothing else. We couldn't rely on anything else. And God revealed his presence. Now, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, were they just sitting there like this? No, well, they're, yeah, they're having a good old time. They're walking around the fire, having a good old time. Now, if they're walking around in the fire, that means they could have got out, I assume. They weren't in any rush. They were enjoying the presence of God. And you know what? Another interesting thing. Not only was it Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who experienced the presence of God, but the people that were watching saw God's presence. We always say, God, make me a testimony to the people I work with, you know, to those people I go to school with. And I want to be a testimony. You know where, when you can be a testimony? Many times you can be the most effective during those trials, right? During those difficult times. Yeah, but they, they weren't any rest to get out of, the, out of the furnace. In fact, they didn't come out of that furnace until Nebuchadnezzar goes down to the furnace and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. I'm sure he's standing back quite a ways. Now, one of these guys had to have a sense of humor. They're teenagers. One of them had to have a sense of humor. And it's not recorded in Scripture, but I bet you, when we get to heaven, one, maybe it was Abednego. Said, ah, Nebuchadnezzar, come in. <laughs> come on in. You'll join us. We're having a good old time in here. They... We're experiencing the presence of God and they were in no rush to get out of that fiery furnace. What are you offering to the Lord this morning? Are you holding back because you're afraid the cost is too great or the fire is too hot? One of the things that has impressed me since I've been back here in the United States is that there seems to be an emphasis on extreme Everything is extreme. You know, there's the X Games where they're doing stuff on motorcycles and, and bicycles and, and uh, skateboard. They shouldn't be doing it. Extreme stuff. The X Games. 
I was in the, uh, shopping for some candy, and I walked over to Extreme Taffy. Everything Extreme Taffy. I was looking for deodorant. They had Extreme Deodorant. For those of us with Extreme Body Odor, I assume. Extreme. I was even on the airplane, and I'm looking down at this, uh, the Sky Mall magazine, and it says this. Cool products for your Extreme Geek Lifestyle. Now we have extreme geeks. Everything is extreme. Well, you know what? In order to reach the world today, we need extreme believers. We need extreme missions. We need extreme givers. We need extreme prayer warriors. Before I went out this last term, I did something that I hadn't done before. Each church I was in, I said, please, I want to go back with an army. I don't want to go back by myself. I want to go back with an army of prayer warriors. And I had a sign-up list. And by the way, there is a sign-up list, I think, back there on the table somewhere for both Mark and myself. You want to get our, our emails and you want to join our prayer warrior team. I want to go back with an army once again because this was our best term ever. You know, you wonder, wow, all, what, what, look at what God's doing through those kids. Yeah, he's doing it through those kids. But you know who else he's doing it through? Those prayer warriors. I think that's why we had the most powerful uh, term yet, because I went back with an army of prayer warriors. When we first went to the mission field, this was back in the days, long time ago, of letters. Anybody remember that? Letters. Oh, yeah. The kids are going, letters, little letters. And it was either a feast or a famine day. You walked to the mailbox, and it was either famine, nothing, or it was feast. Ooh. Well, this was a feast day. And I remember going to the box and coming back. Honey, we got a letter from mom and dad. We got a letter from friends and family. And we're just basking in all this news and just enjoying reading these letters. But we also got letters from people we don't know. We didn't know. And, um, you know, mail is a blessing and a curse. What is the curse of mail? Bills, we don't get too many out there. Answering. Answering. You got to Answer. So I'm thinking, oh, that's okay, family members, but all these people I don't know, I've got to answer these letters. And, and uh, I remember I was reading this, this letter from an old lady, didn't even know who she was. And I'm sitting there thinking all the whole time, oh, man, I've got to answer this letter. And the letter wasn't real exciting. She said, dear Evan and Jewel, uh, we had potluck at the church today, and I took roast beef. And, um, and then she gets to the very end of the letter, and she says this, I'm just writing to tell you that I pray for you to times every day. Talk about a rebuke. I looked at my wife and I said, you know those times where we wonder, how did we make it? How did we make it? I'll tell you why we made it. That little prayer warrior. That little prayer warrior. We need extreme prayer warriors. Extreme givers. You know, the only place in the Bible where it says we're supposed to test God is in giving. Normally the Bible says, do not test me. You know, God said, don't test the Lord your God. But in giving. Malachi 3.10, I love it. Lord, it's, it's kind of God in your face. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing. You won't have room for it. Great picture. And you come to the cupboard. You can't outgive God. God loves extreme givers, extreme prayer warriors, extreme witnesses, extreme parents. I challenge parents be extreme in this whole area of missions. Many of our missionaries that are on the field, their biggest obstacle has been their parents, Christian parents. You know, let someone else go. Let someone else go. But not you, especially when you have grandkids. You and the grandkids need to stay here. I encourage you right from the get-go when your kids are little. You encourage them. And if they come to you and say, Mom and Dad, I think God has called me to the mission field, you celebrate. Be an extreme parent. 
If God is calling your child to the mission field, wow. You know what? It's not fun being separated from my kids. I have two kids in Korea. Fortunately, I talked to one to come and join us in ministry. And I don't know where the third one is going. But you know what? What a blessing. We have seen God's blessing on our family. But extreme missions, being extreme believers is going to come at a cost. And we all have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to pay? I'm here to tell you that the cost is nothing compared to the gain. Nothing. I've seen, we've seen God do amazing things in life for our family. And our girls are where they're at today, not in spite of what they experience, but because of what they experience. They have seen God do one thing after another. They've seen God walking through it, walking with us through the flames. This morning, can you look up to the Lord and say, Father, I will not offer to you that which cost me nothing.